and welcome to Volleyball State, a look at college volleyball in six rotations presented this week by Bison Incorporated. I'm Jeff Sheldon. And I'm Lincoln Arneal. And we've got a huge show this week. Nebraska's dream of an undefeated season comes to an end in Madison, but the Huskers salvage a road trip split with a big win at Minnesota. The NCAA tournament brackets are out just hours ago, and Nebraska earns the number one overall seed. But were the Huskers given an easy path to the Final Four? We'll talk about it with NCAA reporter Michaela Chester. But first, thank you all so much for finding Volleyball State, downloading our episodes, telling your friends about them, and spreading the word. You've once again made Volleyball State the number one listened to volleyball podcast in America, and we can't say thank you enough. But hey, besides downloading the show, listening to what we got to say, you find us on social media at Volleyball Pod on Twitter. You can keep emailing the show, volleyballstate at gmail.com. And also, we are a proud part of the Podcast House Media Radio Empire. You can find all of the great Podcast House Media shows online at podcasthousemedia.com. If you're looking to hit us up individually, you can talk to me on Twitter at by Jeff Sheldon. And you can find me on Twitter at Lincoln underscore VB. And you can find all of my articles for both this past weekend and upcoming the NCAA Turbulent Tournament run on HuskersIllustrated.com. So what about got, the video recaps? Where do the video oh, recaps Oh, video recap you can also find on uh, HuskersIllustrated.com or our Huskers Illustrated uh, YouTube channel as well, too. So I give a quick little, usually about three minutes is my goal to uh, get a synopsis of the uh of the match or the event or the news of the day. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, you did one for the, what the tournament breakdown, yes. you did one from uh, being on the road this past week up in Madison and Minneapolis. And it's nice to see that you made it home safe and you had a birthday this week too. Yes. I celebrated my birthday with all my friends at target field. I stopped by my uh, favorite place in the world, target field to uh, celebrate my birthday with the uh, Minnesota twins. So well, one of my favorite place. One of my favorite places in the world is actually across the street from Target Field. It's Fulton Tap House oh. or Fulton Brewery in downtown Minneapolis. So I've I've been there several times. It's one of my favorite places. They are not sponsoring the show. That was an unsponsored, uh, <laughs> I guess, uh, endorsement from Jeff. Go if you're in Minneapolis. Yeah. Go drink at Fulton. Yes, but we had a jam-packed show. Uh, like we uh, Jeff said, we will recap Nebraska's adventures on the road to close out the regular season at Wisconsin and at Minnesota. We will then talk about today's big bracket reveal. The postseason path is out. We will look at where all the top seeds fall and uh, their path to the path to the Final Four in Tampa. Uh, we will then talk with Michaela Chester, who's an NCAA volleyball reporter, get her thoughts and kind of a national perspective on the postseason. Uh, well, then we'll look at what some other teams in the state are doing. Uh, postseason is starting for everyone, and there are a lot of Nebraska teams involved in the postseason as well. And then we will uh, pull out our uh, hot seat and have a little debate about which teams got snubbed, which teams have a case to be upset, and which teams should have won a few more non-conference matches. Uh, and then we will wrap up, as always, by looking at the week ahead. So that is what we got. We will start off in Madtown. Uh, it was a given Nebraska fits. They were, um, they were, I don't know, they weren't dominated, but they were handled, uh, Wisconsin handled yeah. quite uh, easily in three sets. Nebraska's first loss of the year. It's a good thing we wrote all of our undefeated articles uh, earlier in the week because they are now uh, useless at this point. Irrelevance. Yes. 
Yeah, uh, it maybe it wasn't it wasn't as as big of a domination on as as the numbers might or as as a sweep might suggest. But I mean, I have jotted down here. This was a butt whooping like Wisconsin was not threatened in this match uh, out. Well, they were threatened late in game two, but that was about the only time. I would say that that they didn't have this match in control. And then once Nebraska couldn't convert um, late in game two, Wisconsin put their foot on the throat in game three and just just ran away with this one. Um, Lincoln, why don't, you want to run through the numbers real quick? Yes. Uh, so Wisconsin ended up hitting uh, 357, which is the highest um, by far. I think uh, there was another opponent that hit high 290s, uh, but this was almost by 50. Yeah, Penn, 50 Penn State, I believe. Penn State, yeah, they, their dominant sets they had hit three, 357 against Nebraska. Anna Smrek, uh, who's long been a thorn in Nebraska's side, she had 18 kills on 378, and uh, Sarah Franklin, 16 kills on 424. They were kind of the uh, people that carried Nebraska a little, uh, carried Wisconsin to the victory, too. Uh, Nebraska got good performances from Harper Murray, uh, 15 kills. I thought she elevated her game a little bit, but uh, before we get into more, too much of that nitty gritty, I mean, uh, what were your thoughts? I mean, you, I, 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 I kind mm-hmm. of got close up to you too, but um, it, to me, it seemed like Wisconsin's, I mean, Nebraska, I think handled Wisconsin's physical presence better, but they just had no answer on defense for the Badgers. Yeah, um, I mean, Wisconsin only had, what, like six blocks in this match after putting mm-hmm. up like 18 in the match in Lincoln. It wasn't Wisconsin's blocking or defense really that won this match, even though Wisconsin's floor defense continues to be one of, the, I think, the more underrated parts of their game. Their libero, Julia Orzel, and their DS like are really, really good. Yeah. And that that back row does not get enough credit when when you're looking at the physical players that Wisconsin puts up. But, you know, we talked about on the show over the last couple of weeks that was when Wisconsin is healthy and playing well, they have the highest ceiling of any team in the country. And, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know if they had an off night in really any stretch of their game on Friday. They hit 357 against Nebraska. To put that in perspective, Nebraska's holding teams on the season, I believe, to 141. They're leading the nation in hitting percentage. And and Wisconsin hit more than 200 points better than Nebraska's you know, opposing average. Nebraska wants to drag the game kind of down in the mud and create some rallies and 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 not let your big hitters go off. Well, Anna Smrek, their six foot nine uh, opposite hitter, had 18 kills. You know, he says Sarah Franklin, who I think is going to be named. Uh, these these awards haven't come out yet, I don't believe. But come on, I Wednesday. Think, I think she's going to be named the Big Ten Player of the Year, and it will be very deserved for her. Uh, 16 kills and hit 424. When you have players that terminal who can put the ball away with that effectiveness, like you, you're just really, really hard to beat. Nebraska would have had to played an exceptional match, you know, from the service line, which they didn't do. Um, from a, they they ha- they would have to dig everything, even when their back row gets turned into a shooting gallery. And you know, Wisconsin was just flat out better than Nebraska on Friday, and I think showed that you know they they probably have the best offense in the country, even when their setting was a little bit off. Um, you know, Anna Smrek can, has incredible range. Sarah Franklin has even more incredible range, maybe more range than any other hitter in the Big Ten. And and they yeah. can make your setter right, even yeah. when you know they're playmakers. And and they had more playmakers than Nebraska did on Friday. That was the thing I was really impressed with was the angles that Franklin was hitting. I mean, she hit that cross court shot that keep get it kept getting sharper and sharper as the match wore on. And um, I don't know if she, she might have had one or two balls that were hit. They were 
pit inside the uh, 10 foot line too. But, um, and what's really impressive about that, about, about both Franklin and Smirak is the power they bring. I mean, they are mm-hmm. powerful hitters and they'll, they'll tip over occasionally, but it seems more often than not, they're unafraid to take rips. And the other thing that impressed me too with Franklin is even the out of system balls. I don't know if she does anything different. I, I'm need, we need to ask our good friend Dennis this question. But when she hits just a roll shot, where it, it, it seems it caught, it caught Nebraska off guard a time or two with her roll shot. She was able to find the floor with something that you think would just be an easy, easy setup mm-hmm. for Nebraska to uh, get, in the, get in the flow of its offense. But um, just really effective that. And in fact, Wisconsin hit so high that they knocked Nebraska off of their number one perch. They're now number three in the nation. Oh, wow. Hitting percentage at uh, 141. Creighton, Creighton now leads the nation at 134, followed by No Dayton, kidding. So. Two, yeah. uh, two, two other NCAA tournament teams. Well, that doesn't surprise me with, with how good Creighton's floor defense is as well. Um, what I noticed about Wisconsin, too, when, when you're that good offensively, they put a lot of pressure on you to be perfect when you've got the ball. Um, so when you're in transition, if you don't put a ball away and with their block and their floor defense, you know, they're a pretty good defensive team themselves, then then you've lost the rally, basically, um, because they will turn it into a kill in their transition. Their transition game is really good. Uh, Wisconsin sided out at 68 percent, which we know anything over 60 is really good. 68 percent really just had Nebraska on their heels um, the whole night. Going back and kind of watching some replays, we, we talked about the shots that Smrek and Franklin like to hit. I was a little surprised, Lincoln, that Nebraska didn't adjust a little bit. Because Smrek loves to go deep cross court and, yeah. and Nebraska just seemed like they never adjusted their floor defenders to take that away. Um, Franklin, you know, it's easier said than done because when she hits that sharp of a cross, you're either asking the off blocker to make that play or you're asking your libero who Lexi Rodriguez normally plays left back in Nebraska's defense to come up to the to the 10 foot line and, and try to dig balls in a spot that leaves the rest of the court wide open. I don't know if John Cook talked at all after the match about what sort of defensive adjustments that, that they could have made against Wisconsin or what, what was his uh, opinion after the match? We didn't ask him specifically about that too. We were more focused on how Nebraska kind of uh, got, got handled. And um, Mm -hmm. he, he thought Nebraska played better in Madison than they did in Lincoln too, which, Mm -hmm. um, I think I thought Nebraska was very fortunate to get a win in in Lincoln, but and they, mm-hmm. but but they made. I mean, at times they made they made Wisconsin work a little bit, but Wisconsin was always winning those long rallies. So he he didn't get into specifics about their defensive adjustments too. But um, that's the the thing that Wisconsin can do is they stress your defense and do find whatever holes you may have available. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and they've just got when they're in that six two, they have three big hitters and three big defenders in the front row all the time. I think that's an even bigger credit to their passing because they're always passing with two in the back row. And um, uh, I'm going to butcher her name. Uh, Golche Guchkin, I think their DS is really outstanding. We mentioned Julio Orzol and, you know, they, they were able to pass and, and put a lot of stress on Nebraska too, with their serves. You know, I think serve receive, if there was a, if there was a common weakness that Nebraska showed in both matches this weekend, their serve receive just, really struggled at times. Uh, yeah. It didn't punish them too much against Minnesota. Um, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. But, you know, I think Nebraska just struggled to get in system and struggled to really feel confident offensively um, against yeah. Wisconsin. On Despite all of that, Nebraska yeah. still had their chances in this match. Oh, yeah. They had late leads in the first two sets. And, and we can get well, into this now. 
Um, go ahead. I was going to say, yeah, I, I was saying Nebraska came out and they were they were by far the better team to start the match too. I mean, they were up five to one um, before most fans or all the fans were in their seats. They were the more aggressive team. Um, they came out. They had a block early um, and really were forced. I mean, Smirk had a hitting there within the first couple of rallies too. So I, think, I thought Nebraska really came out, set the tempo, set the kind of the agenda that they wanted to do. But Wisconsin's resilient and stayed patient. And I think that was one thing I did. Kelly Sheffield talked about patience that they had too. I mean, Nebraska's going to dig a lot of balls. And if you just don't try to over, over hit a ball or try too fancy of shot, that you'll get a chance to do something with it. But Nebraska was up 19 to 8, 18 in that, uh, in that, uh, first set. Late the first set. Yeah. Franklin had a kill. And then another key moment is uh, Murray got credit for a back row uh, back row kill and Sheffield challenges. And this came after, um, or sorry, this was a longer rally. It came after Sheffield lost a challenge when it was like nine to six. So he uh, mm-hmm. challenged a play. There was a play at the net where Bergen Riley was trying to keep a ball alive and it was a tight pass. And she mm-hmm. went up and Franklin hit it and kept it over. But, because Bergen Riley was a back row at the time and she touched the ball, they reviewed that and called her for a back yeah. block. And that and that gave Wisconsin its first lead of the first set and mm-hmm. kind of grabbed the momentum from there. Yeah, I mean, credit. Sarah Franklin was the one who told it looked like according to the television broadcast, Franklin was the one who confirmed to, to Sheffield that she had gone up for a joust and, and Bergen Riley um, was the one she jousted with. So that's a back row block on Nebraska. Can't do that. Um, Wisconsin takes the lead and, and then Wisconsin ends game one on a six to one run. And so Wisconsin takes game one. Nebraska comes out, has an even better chance to win game two. Huskers led 22 to 19. Um, looks like they're about to even this match up. But but once again, they they can't put it away. Uh, Wisconsin goes on a four oh run. Um, Nebraska actually rallies back and goes up 25, 20 has two set points in this set yeah. of 25, 24, 26, 25. But this was the pivotal point in the match that, that I went back and watched a couple times on both of these set points that Nebraska had, Nebraska never got a swing for the set. Nope. Wisconsin was able to put both of these away on first ball side outs from, from Smrek and Franklin, uh, on one of those on the first one, Nebraska hit. Um, a really tough serve and and Wisconsin was able to keep it up and and get it to Smrek for a kill on another one. It was Franklin who had to get an out of system play on a bump set. It looked like Nebraska was ahead of the point on both of these with tough serves. And Wisconsin's Terminators are just like, nope, we'll take care of this. We'll take out the trash. And when you have hitters who can just bail you out of situations oh, yeah. like that, you're just so, so hard to stop and so nebraska despite having two set points never really got a chance to win the set no yeah there was i mean murray had an ace right before the first uh that set up the first set point too so i mean she did a really great job of serving late um and then nebraska had a chance to tie it up or when it was tied another shot but beeson uh just sailed an attack very high it wasn't remotely close so it's kind mm-hmm. of the difference there of uh wisconsin studs deliver and uh, Beeson wasn't able to uh, snap her wrist to get that ball down. And then uh, mm-hmm. Carter Booth, Carter Booth put it away to win that set. And that really kind of, I don't know if that took the wind out of Nebraska sales, but to have two of those set points really, uh, really kind of got Nebraska, got Nebraska's confidence took a hit there. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, once Wisconsin went up two to nothing, uh, Wisconsin blew open game three uh, early. They had a three or four point lead and then they put together a six Oh run. 
to go up 21-12, and, oh. and it was all academic from there. This is how dominant Wisconsin was in Game 3. They hit 593, 17 kills, and just one error to to push that hitting percentage well above 350 um, on, uh, on Friday night. So, you know, kudos to Wisconsin. My takeaway from this was a couple of things. One, Wisconsin was every bit as good as I thought that they were. Um, they they have outstanding terminators. They have a huge block. They they can serve well. They can pass well. You know, I'm trying to think of the type of team that beats Wisconsin. Um, and you look at what Nebraska did um, a month ago. You know, you you serve tough, and you've you've just got to have a great offensive night too. Your terminators have to um, at least you know play Wisconsin's to a draw or very close to a draw and then um you know nebraska's middles didn't put up very good numbers on on friday night i think both alec and jackson had three or four kills apiece yeah. and, and they certainly weren't hitting above 300 they, they both had three kills and then the combined five airs too so they were barely above uh above zero mm-hmm. um, that was the thing that surprised me too is that this was a very centric game. I mean, we just talked about Nebraska's middle struggles, too. I was surprised how little Wisconsin's middles were involved, too. I mean, Devin Robinson had five kills on 10 swings. Carter Booth had four kills on nine swings, but it was Smirk and Franklin were carrying it. And Temi Thomas-Alara really struggled. I think she had, she had zero kills, four errors on her, maybe her first uh, nine or ten swings, too. She, she, had a, she was part of that great turnaround in the third set that really she found a rhythm and and mm-hmm. together, but um, and Caroline Crawford had one kill on three swings too, so she mm-hmm. was a complete non-factor yeah. um, other than her four blocks. But uh, I, I was surprised how how pin-centric Wisconsin was because they I mean that six-two, you got three big hitters that can go mm-hmm. on anywhere. But that may have been kind of a result of what Nebraska was doing to force them yeah. to play out the system a bit. Well, you know, we we talk about why it's good to have a balanced offense. There are plenty of teams out there that have two really good pin hitters, and that's their offense. Yeah. I mean, Purdue plays that way. Um, Penn State kind of plays that way. Uh, USC plays that way. Like, if you have two outstanding outside hitters or, or a great outside and opposite, like, you can get by as long as they're playing really well. Sure. And and Wisconsin's... Um, Two big guns were were firing on Friday night. Um, the other takeaway I had for this is um, it feels like you know I could I could tell that people maybe side eyed us a little bit in the last couple of shows where we were felt like we were concern trolling a little bit by saying well here's the ways that Nebraska sometimes you know isn't a leader here's some of the ways that Nebraska needs to get better if they want to like reach the Final Four and you're like this team is undefeated and just clinched the Big Ten championship what are you talking about well. Some of those things popped up this past weekend. The serve-receive can be poor at times. And we see this uh, on Saturday night against Minnesota, too. The block can sometimes just go away. Uh, they had Nebraska had three blocks against Wisconsin. They weren't getting a lot of good touches to start transition on their own. So those are two big areas. If I'm Nebraska, I'm a little concerned about going into the tournament is how is my block going to do? And, and that got picked up against Minnesota. But how is my service going to do? Am I going to be able to stay in system? Or am I going to ask Bergen Riley to like run a marathon to try to track down first touches and 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 better balls that that still aren't you know perfect sets because of where they started from? So yeah, I think you know we've got consistency on on this list. Nebraska needs to, to just play at a higher level consistency, and maybe that's unfair to expect from a team that has a lot of you know freshman sophomores, first year players on it. But you know. The time for the time for what ifs and excuses is kind of over because we're going into the postseason and one bad night against the wrong team ends your season. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I mean, it was 
playing it was loud at very loud at times at the field house too i was one of the uh, talking to some people there that was the loudest that building had been all season mm-hmm. so it the, sounded loud they put the freshmen in that environment too i mean they handled it okay but it's not easy for them too so my other takeaway too speaking of takeaways um what we did see elevate harper murray i think in the beginning of that second set you can tell to me at least her the way she was attacking changed she was just mm-hmm. going with a lot more force i mean you could tell she was jumping higher and swinging harder realizing that i mean tips are not going to get it done against a team like wisconsin so i was really impressed with her and there were several kills that she just whipped her arm and like the ball went straight to the floor and the kind of the wisconsin crowd i know the breath was taken away it's like oh they, they were they were taken aback by it the uh the shot she made too so i that, that was good to see and she kind of struggled a little bit too and uh consistency hadn't been her uh it, she'd mm-hmm. struggled with that a little bit the past few weeks but i really thought she elevated her game too and then also ali batenhorst had 11 kills hit 409 too so that's one of the better performances and i think i thought we saw the same kind of method from her where she mm-hmm. goes up and swings aggressively and that that's a lot better plan of attack for her Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, you know, Allie Batenhorst had a really good weekend on the whole. And, and we'll talk about her a little bit in Minnesota, too. You know, I've been I've been critical of Allie Batenhorst at times throughout the year when when she struggled. I, I want to make sure I give her credit when it's due. She she had a very good weekend was one of the bright spots um, for Nebraska. Do you want you want to get into the Minnesota match? Yeah. How long did it so, take for you to drive from Madison to Minneapolis? Well, that's a four hour drive. So I, uh, I, I did, I did celebrate kind of, I started the day running around the, uh, the lake there in, uh, w- Madison, the, uh, mm-hmm. the southern lake too. That's a 12 mile jog, got in a car and drove four hours too. So I was a little, a little, a little tight along the way. Got to Minnesota and, uh, Minnesota, the, the, they play at the pavilion, which all of their sports arenas and complex is kind of one area. So I, I love that about the University of Minnesota campus. I was up there for Labor Day weekend for the football game, and I've seen that before. Minnesota's got a whole bunch of athletic buildings, like the mm-hmm. hockey arena, baseball field, football stadium. It's all within like three blocks because yeah. the whole campus is like hemmed in in downtown Minneapolis against a river. Yeah. So unfortunately, unfortunately, but it, it very congested because right as I was getting to the match, and granted I went a little bit early, was right after the uh, Minnesota Gophers were done getting slacked by the Wisconsin football team too. So it was a very chaotic, uh, chaotic uh, atmosphere around that. So, but it mm-hmm. again filled up filled up the uh, arena, and uh, Nebraska I thought really responded well uh, early on. There was no no any sign of a hangover or kind of woe is me atmosphere. They really. Uh, came out strong and set the tempo against Minnesota uh, that night too. So, um, yeah, that was... just real quick, in case you didn't watch the match, Huskers win this one in four. Um, they win game one and game two fairly handily. They lose game three, and then game four was a real nail biter that that Nebraska held on uh, to at the end. So the Huskers end their season what twenty eight and one. Uh, is that the regular yes. season record? Yes, I mean, and... nineteen nineteen and one of the Big Ten. So yes. Excellent. Yeah, um, Nebraska's defense got got a lot better, or at least showed out a lot better um, against uh, Minnesota. Um, and uh, the Huskers had 15 blocks, which tied a uh, tied a season high. They also had 15 back in that five set win uh, against Purdue. Um, and a lot of these blocks came late. And I want to yeah. say Nebraska had what eight in in game four. Uh, it didn't start out that way, but it, it sure ended that nine, way. Nine, 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 or yeah. So I mean, they had uh, they had 
three in the first set, uh, one in the second, the two in the two in the uh, third, and then it, it, it was also really led by Becca Alec. I think she set the tone and really kind of stepped up. She had ten by mm-hmm. herself for the match, and I think she had six of those of, of Nebraska's nine in the mm-hmm. uh, fourth set. So she really kind of and I, I don't. I don't know if Nebraska made any adjustments or they just kind of focused on like saying, we're not going to let Minnesota take it to us or they just forced Minnesota to become a little more predictable and kind of go to uh, McKenna Walker and Taylor Landfair on the left pin. Mm -hmm. And that's where, that's where Nebraska started to feast. Well, I think, you know, as, as good as Walker and Landfair are and Landfair was the big 10 freshman of the year last year. It was, I think the number one overall recruit in the country in her class, or at the very least was a top five. Um, and Walker's very good as well. She was another highly rated recruit. Their pin hitters are not as good as Wisconsin's pin hitters. And Nebraska was able to put Minnesota in jail a little bit. They're a little bit more high error. I think Nebraska served pretty well, uh, Mm -hmm. in this match. And then uh, the player we haven't mentioned yet who really turned it around on Saturday was Merritt Beeson, had 21 kills to to lead the way. Actually got kind of quiet late. She put up a lot of those kills, and I don't have the numbers right in front of me, but she put up a lot of kills in the first three sets, and then I think maybe only had four or three kills in um, in game four. But but yeah. Beeson really put up the offense um, in this one. Uh, Allie Batenhorst also 13 kills, so... So did Harper Murray had 13 kills and 17 digs. So she's really um, developed into an all around threat. Minnesota, McKenna Walker had 16 kills. Taylor Landfair had 14 to uh, lead the Gophers. But Minnesota did not get that. What I'm used to seeing from really good Minnesota teams is is excellent setting and really good production from their middles, um, which they've had, you know, when their Minnesota teams have been good. And, and Minnesota did not really get that on on Saturday night. Yeah. Uh and you mentioned Mary Beeson. She had she went off in the second set was kind of her 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 takeover. She had nine kills on thirteen swings with zero airs in that uh second set. That was kind of her forte. Mm-hmm. Uh, only two kills. I look at my notes now. Beeson only had two kills in game four, although one of them came late. That was a, a pretty big in a pretty big spot. Yeah. yeah so I mean the, the one thing that was I don't know, surprising, but I don't know if Nebraska is prone to do this or we just remember because it happens so rarely that when it does happen, it's noteworthy is they kind of gave away the end of the third game. Uh, mm-hmm. It looked like it was going to be a sweep. Uh, Nebraska is up. 17-13. Uh, and really it, it all kind of, it changed on an overpass from uh, Minnesota's defensive specialist, uh, who I believe is from Poland, who I am, we will try to butcher her name. We will butcher yeah. her name if we try to say it. So yeah, Minnesota. Zaynep is her first name, but she had just like an overpass that just a bump pass that was went over the net, and no one in Nebraska kind of landed. Everyone else expected someone else to to get mm-hmm. it, and that wrote, that was the first point that started a little run of three or run of four, four straight points that tied the mat tied tied the set at seventeen, and then uh, Nebraska was still up twenty one twenty, and Minnesota closed with. Five straight points, uh, including a couple of uh, Nebraska hitting airs in that. But uh, it just it, it thought that Nebraska had the opportunity to end end the conference mm-hmm. season emphatically with a sweep, and it just weren't their passing really broke down. That's where their passing yeah. really struggled was at the end of that at end of that third set. Yeah, it's one of those plays that having an overdig drop on you something that happens maybe two or three times a whole season. 
And I, I don't remember seeing Nebraska do that um, yeah. this year but before that one, but it's one of those things well, that's like volleyball is so momentum based that once something like that goes against you, like you have to pull the steering wheel out of the opponent's hands and, yeah. and they just weren't able to do it. The serve receive, you know, Really, it was it wasn't just one player that was struggling. It was multiple players. Um, usually the players that get picked on a serve receive for Nebraska are Allie Batenhorst when she's in. Um, she's struggled again against Minnesota in that facet of her game. Laney Choboy has started to get picked on a little bit. I think Wisconsin really targeted her on Friday night. And, you know, I I know it is sort of verboten to talk about Lexi Rodriguez and anything other than superior praise because she's so good. But like, I thought even Lexi Rodriguez seemed a little off or a little step slow against Minnesota because there were some balls that were hit at her that, you know, granted they were hit very hard, but like you're used to seeing her make those plays. And there are times where she'll just go two or three points, maybe, and maybe not seem as dialed in. And and Minnesota was able to take advantage uh, of that a little bit, but game four was, was really kind of a dogfight. I don't know, Lincoln, if you've got your notes up for this one, I, I didn't jot down a, a play-by-play, but this one came down to the end where yeah. Nebraska's block finally got going and they were able to, to stuff Minnesota a few times on pivotal points to to finally close out this match. Yeah, I, I will say to start the set, it was very fun. Becca Alex scored all six points to start the match, four for Nebraska, two for Minnesota. She had three blocks and a kill uh, in the first six points and then uh, two hitting errors. So she was she was busy to start the set, too. Uh, but Minnesota actually went up eight, eight to six and kind of back and forth. They Nebraska did take a lead and they went on a 4-0 run to go up 20 to 16. Um, and Nebraska again looked poised to close it out easy. Uh, they were up 23-19. Uh, looked like Batenhorst had a kill, uh, but they challenged that. Minnesota successfully challenged, overturned that. So it was 23-20. And then an ace serve, another again, another just serve receive wasn't on top of it. Yeah. Um, Beeson gets a kill. This is one of those kills that you talked about. Nebraska needs to end the, the, the momentum of Minnesota. Beeson delivered to give them set points, but it still, it took two more chances. Mm-hmm. Uh, Booker and Landfair came through a kill before uh, Andy Jackson and uh, Bergen Riley with the final block to end the match too. And I think Nebraska was had a heavy sigh of relief that mm-hmm. because they were, they were struggling to get those last couple of points. Yeah, absolutely. And and Minnesota was starting to 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 find Nebraska's hands and use them a little bit. Wooker, as high error as she can be sometimes, you know, she'll get and hers she and 10. she put it away. And um and then I think it was Taylor Lanfair who took that final swing that Andy Jackson and Bergen Riley um blocked on match point. So Nebraska kind of escapes Minnesota um by the skin of their teeth. And um, as we're going to talk about in the tournament bracket here in just a little bit, I thought that might have been a match that Minnesota needed to win, or at least if they had won it, they they would not be sweating on Selection Sunday. They get in despite the loss, but you know that's a that's a Minnesota team that um, is coming to Omaha for the first two rounds of the tournament, and is not a team I think that anyone wants to see in the in the early going of the tournament. So Nebraska pulls it out. Um, wins it against Minnesota, finishes the regular season 28 and 1, 19 and 1 in the Big Ten. A wonderful accomplishment for this group to uh, win the Big Ten championship. And really, I think if you had asked John Cook at the start of the year about this weekend specifically and said, hey, end of the regular season, you're going to go up to Minneapolis and in Madison, would you be happy with a split? He probably would have said, absolutely, yes, thank you. I don't want to ask any more questions. We'll take it. And um, Huskers, uh, Huskers go one and one this weekend. 
Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. Yes. Um, let's talk for a second about serve receive. Is, is there anything that you see that's sort of been a... Um, a a constant throughout this uh something in common that we see i i think it it makes sense to serve other teams outside hitters especially if they're younger um so harper murray gets served a lot ali batenhorst gets served a lot um laney choboy you know her job is to pass serves but i think she gets served tough a lot of times um what what's going on with serve receive because i feel like that's one thing that rasper really needs to tighten up if they're gonna make a final four run yeah, it, it seems like there's just, there's been more communication errors. So a lot of teams will serve in the seams between two Nebraska players. And then and this weekend, especially, there were a couple of times where they just didn't communicate or one player didn't take charge of the court. And you expect that to be Lexi Rodriguez and kind of own own her half of the court. But that didn't happen. The other thing that I think I noticed maybe that I can re- recall is that teams that serve just a little bit short, uh, Nebraska's struggling to take those one or two steps up to pass, and uh, balls are just dying in front of them a little bit too. So um, I think it's a combination of just communication and not having that locked-in focus. And uh, I was looking at the, the serve reception, and more so than other teams do. I mean, Harper Murray had was served at 26 times. She gave up two aces. Um, and then Lexi Rodriguez, it was 19 uh, she didn't give up any aces, and Lena Choiboy was targeted 18 times. Um, but I think their their passing was a little bit loose. And then uh, Allie Batenhorst was uh, served at 12 times, giving up one ace, and that was a that was just a shank. I think if I remember correctly, off of her arms too. So uh, mm-hmm. that's more even distribution. I feel like than I've I've seen from teams in the past. I think Murray gets a lot, and then Choiboy probably more so. They try to a lot of teams try to avoid Lexi, but. Mm-hmm. Maybe they're picking up on what you're seeing that she's just not as sharp as she has been. Absolutely. And it's something that Nebraska is going to need to fix as they get into the NCAA tournament, which we are going to break down in just a second. But first, hey, if you need competition quality volleyball equipment, contact the good sports at Bison Incorporated. Bison's a Nebraska based manufacturer. They have the widest selection of indoor and outdoor systems available with your choice of carbon, aluminum, steel, hybrid, and portable volleyball systems. Lincoln. Did you know that the Volleyball Day in Nebraska teams played in Memorial Stadium on one of Bison's systems, Bison's freestanding portable arena junior? I did not know that. That is great. They did a good job with that. They are a part of history. And if it's good enough for Volleyball Day in Nebraska, it's good enough for your setup. You can call them at 800-247-7668. That's 800-247-7668 for help finding the perfect fit for your facility. So if you're a club coach, a facility director, a high school coach, or you're just someone looking for a great setup, 
You can request a quote online or find a Bison dealer near you at bisoninc.com. That's bisoninc.com. So on Sunday night, Lincoln, the NCAA tournament brackets were unveiled. Not a lot of drama, I would say, on Nebraska's side. You knew the Huskers were going to get a top-four seed. That that was the first thing they told us on the NCAA selection show. The Huskers were the top overall seed. Your top four seeds are Nebraska, Stanford, Wisconsin, and Pittsburgh. So those are the four teams that have the chance to host as long as they keep winning all the way to the Final Four. Uh, Your number two seeds are Kentucky is the number two seed in Nebraska's region, uh, Oregon, Texas, and Louisville. I think I have those out of order just a little bit. Stanford, Stanford, Texas, Wisconsin, Oregon, Louisville, Pitt. Yes, Nebraska. So um, any any surprises at the top of the bracket from you? What what do you think of uh, of how things shook out there? This was exactly what I predicted uh, on Saturday, kind of going into this. So I don't think there's any surprise. There was a possibility of a little bit of drama. Um, Pitt and Louisville, I think there were some questions. I mean, I think after Pitt won, won against Louisville a couple of weeks ago, there was some, there was uh that would, they kind of got ahead of them in the rankings. Uh, but mm-hmm. it was, would the committee put those two together in the same region being both mm-hmm. team members? Would they, would they fudge it and drop, Louisville down to a six because um, I think Louisville Louisville had a legit shot, shot at being um, a top four seed as well too. But mm-hmm. uh, there was to me this it was straightforward and uh, that the top eight eight seeds all make sense to me. I think given Kentucky's hot streak and the domination mm-hmm. they showed in SEC, they've really earned that after a uh, very tumultuous non conference. So I, I wasn't surprised. I mean, did you? Did you see anything in there that made your eyebrow raise? No, I think especially at the top, you know, Pittsburgh and Louisville split their regular season matches, right? Um, Pitt, Pittsburgh won in five recently. Louisville won the the first meeting, but Pittsburgh gets the advantage because they um, they're the top team. In, did they win the ACC or was Florida? Did Florida State win they, the ACC? They tied with Florida State, and I don't know what their tiebreaker is, but I saw yeah. in the NCAA's graphic that Florida State actually got the automatic. Not that it mattered; oh they got goodness. the automatic bid. Well, I think yeah, Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh gets an advantage over Louisville because they have the better conference record. Um, Pittsburgh's a really good team. You know, they were a, a top four seed a, a couple years ago. Um, that was the only you knew Nebraska, Stanford, and Wisconsin were no brainers in in the other four seeds. Um, we'll we'll get to kind of comparing brackets here in in just a bit. Let's talk first about what Nebraska's path to the Final Four is. They open up against Long Island. Um, that's I think the Fighting Sharks. Brooklyn. Yeah, the Fighting Sharks. Um, Thirteen and eighteen on the season. They're under five hundred. They got in by winning an upset path through the Northeast Conference Tournament. They were the four seed uh, in that conference tournament. They upset Fairleigh Dickinson in the championship. They also beat the top seed in that conference, Sacred Heart, um, in that. And, and we see this a lot, Lincoln, these, you know, America East or the Northeast Conference. So the, it's a one big league, one bid league where the conference tournament winner, you know, gets in. And a lot of times it's an upset. It's the three yeah. seed. It's the four seed that, you know, Nebraska played teams like this a lot, like Hartford or uh, Monmouth or, you know, UMBC schools yeah. from out east. Yeah, Delaware absolutely. State. So um, Long Island makes the tournament despite starting the year. Get this with one win in their first 13 matches. They were one in 12 to start the year. A really tough non-conference schedule. They lost to big names like Arizona, Iowa State, K-State and Rice. Uh, and that's who Nebraska gets. Um 
as is their NCAA tournament opener on Friday against Long Island. We'll actually have a little bit more uh, breakdown of these teams, let you get to know them a little bit in a special show that we're going to do later on in the week. We're actually going to do a bonus show uh, previewing the NCAA tournament and Nebraska's path through it uh, in a couple of days. We'll tell you more about that on social media. Follow us at Volleyball Pod and we'll announce when that is going up and who might be a part of it because we're working on some special things to bring you some bonus content here leading up to uh, the NCAA tournament or, or, just sub- or just subscribe to us and they'll automatically appear in your feed. I mean, that's another way. To oh do yeah. It. So absolutely. Just like woo, bonus, bonus volleyball state. I was gonna say, I actually watched long Island earlier this year because they played Kansas. Why? State. I think, I think the week before Nebraska was going to go down there or, or shortly thereafter. And I saw that's that. Right. Like, oh, this is a random afternoon match. So I had it up here while I was working and like, Oh, they actually gave us a little bit of a challenge in the first half before getting actually pummeled. So that's uh, right. Long Island. This is their second trip to America's heartland uh, this season is after playing in Manhattan. For sure. Uh, the other two teams coming to Lincoln are um, Missouri, which, again, no surprise there. They like they they uh, making another trip to there and they will take on uh, the fighting blue hens of Delaware. So uh, Missouri, actually, they came to Lincoln in 2018 and 2019, both winning their first round matches and then before losing to Nebraska. So. Uh, Those were tight matches from what I remember, though. Yeah, I, mean, I, remember. That was, I think maybe especially 2019, Missouri had Nebraska on the ropes. Yeah, yeah, they, they, I think they won with the first sets and the second set. They, they were pushing Nebraska before Nebraska rallied and ended up winning in four uh, that one. So, yeah, we'll actually look that up and have better records of it for, for our bonus show later on in the week. Um, the other team that Missouri is going to play in the first round that they're going to try to knock off to, to get to Nebraska is going to be Delaware, the Fighting Blue Hens. So um, two East Coast teams get sent to um, get sent to Lincoln, which I think is interesting because, you know, this this tournament is still kind of regionalized. Yeah. And we're going to talk about that there in a little bit about who ended up in what region. But I'm kind of surprised that two East Coast teams were were sent to Lincoln, probably because Nebraska is the top overall seed and they need to. um give them opponents that reflect as such in the first couple rounds. For sure. Yeah. From there, you mentioned the upsets. Yeah. That happened that Nebraska usually benefits from that. Mm-hmm. But from there, things get really interesting. Uh, Nebraska basically is, is going to have to take the William T Sherman um, path to the NCAA tournament <laughs> to get to Tampa. They're going to have to Good, go through the entire world. South if they want to win. Like Nebraska gets matched up against the entire sec. Well, so, Nebraska is going to face either uh, Georgia Tech or Florida in the Sweet 16. If all of the seedings hold, uh, that looks like the most likely path. And that would be in Lincoln um, in two weekends if, if Nebraska is able to win through. So that that's going to be a really um, interesting matchup, I think. Georgia Tech, our darlings from the ACC, we've talked about throughout the year. And then a Florida team that I think was was given their seed. They were the last of the top 16 seeds. So Florida gets to host their opening um first two matches and they did that largely on the strength of what they did in a non-conference season before all of these injuries began to hit Florida. So Florida did not win the SEC. Um, their All-American setter got injured early in the non-conference season and a match that they're about to beat Wisconsin in and then Wisconsin came back and won. They had another injury that we're going to talk about with McKella Chester here in just a little bit in our chat with her and just Florida's really banged up and, and has had to hang on throughout the SEC sec season and they get rewarded with the the number 16 overall seed in the tournament for sure yeah do you th- i mean do you think if nebraska does make the final four they'll get some sec champions uh champion shirts printed up with that the missouri 
uh, Florida, Arkansas, Kentucky <laughs> on it. Yeah, you get your state championship ring for beating yeah. um, Omaha and Creighton, and then you get your SEC, you know, honorary championship ring. Because on the other side, in the uh, who Nebraska could meet in the Elite Eight, if all of the seedings hold, it's going to be someone from uh, either a combination of either Arkansas who um, almost won the SEC this year. And, and and we talked about a little bit on the on the show uh, last week, Florida State, who won the ACC, shared it with Pittsburgh or Kentucky. Kentucky comes into the tournament, I think, on a 15 match winning streak. They're the number two seed in Nebraska's region. They lost in Lincoln earlier in the year, but have really pulled it together since a rough non-conference and are going to be as dangerous as anyone. So that is who Nebraska could have to fight through in the Sweet 16 or Elite 8 just to get to the Final Four in Tampa. Uh, 16 straight. They lost their first, uh, sorry, their second SEC game to uh, Tennessee, but then won everything after that. So uh, they have won 16 in a row. Yeah, and K- Kentucky has an excellent setter in Emma Grome. They've got some outstanding pin hitters, and I imagine that they have cleaned some things up um, since they played in Lincoln earlier in the season. Meanwhile, you know, in Nebraska, I think at times still looking for that magic that they had back in September when they were they were busy crushing Creighton and Kansas State and Stanford and Kentucky. Um, it'll be interesting to see, you know, how these two teams trajectories are different if they end up meeting up in a couple of weeks with a, a chance to to go to the final four on the line. For sure. Yes. And well, we're talking about how Nebraska got loaded with SEC, SEC schools. That name is mm-hmm. that conference is so hard to pronounce as an abbreviation. Uh, Wisconsin, they got the Big Ten region because, uh, I mean, Wisconsin member of the Big Ten. Uh, they could face Penn State, uh, who is the number five seed in their region in the second round. Or sorry, the, the third round. Again, mm-hmm. they, they played last year in the regional semifinals. Uh, and also Purdue is the number three seed in, in that in that region too. So, uh, three of the five Big Ten teams that made the tournament are all kind of uh, put in that same region mm-hmm. to fight it out for one spot to the Final Four. Oregon's also in that region too, so they may have say the Ducks may have something to say about all of that. Mm-hmm. But uh, the Big Ten did not get a favorable draw, and kind of like you mentioned too. Uh, I don't know if it's just regionalizing. I want to keep all those teams together and put put uh, put in the same area to lessen the travel. Um, yeah, that, you, you can't tell me that they don't. Um, and we yeah. talk about this with McKella here in just a little bit. But, you know, I, I think that the selection committee likes it when the Final Four is represented by members of different conferences. They feel it's a good way to grow the sport and to not just have it be three Big Ten teams in the Final Four. And I think things are seeded as such. You know, if, yeah. if the seedings you know, bear out here, then you got two Big Ten teams, a Pac-12 team, and an ACC team. That gives you teams from all across the country, from the Plains, the West Coast, the Upper Midwest, and, I, you know, the East Coast, if um, it gives you a very geographically diverse Final Four. And I think you could have seeded this much differently um, and not put all of the Big Ten powers besides Nebraska in one region. By the way, how excited are you if you're Ray Bouchard in Kansas that, hey, you had a great season, you get to host the first two rounds. Oh, by the way, we're sending Penn State to you uh, to <laughs> potentially play in the second round. So um, sorry, Kansas, that you get you get postseason Penn State, which is not, you know, a vintage Penn State team, but one that owns a win over Wisconsin this year. So um, that'll be fun for them. Sorry about that. No, for but sure. yeah, Wisconsin got the Big Ten regional. Um, they could see both Penn State and Purdue again or this Oregon matchup, which I think is fascinating for them. The speed and the setting of Oregon, West Coast volleyball, 
100 miles an hour against uh, the the biggest physical, most physical team in the country in, in Wisconsin. Um, we alluded to this a little bit ago. Pitt, it could face Louisville for a third time in their region. That's uh, those are the top two seeds um, in the Pittsburgh regional. And then Stanford, really the, the big team, I think, that stands in the way of Stanford's trip to the final four is going to be Texas in the regional final. Right. Texas is the number two seed there. Um, you know, this is a Texas team, Lincoln, that I, I don't think is going to challenge Stanford that much. Um, because like if you get swept by Kansas State and, um, you know, they lost some matches in non-conference too. I just think Stanford is, is head and shoulders sure. above them this year. Yeah. And they also have, um, I think Texas's passing, I think has not been as sharp as it has been for, especially from last year's national championship team, but they also have uh, Tennessee and BYU is in Stanford mm-hmm. region too. And they both had late losses, Tennessee, uh, they closed the regular season losing to South Carolina, uh, and mm-hmm. BYU just had, they had a couple hiccups down the road. Like they got swept by Kansas state. And, um, I think that they, they were, they, I don't think the teams peaked too early, but BYU may be one of those teams that we look at that peaked a little bit too early in the season. Mm-hmm. Um, and Arizona State's in that too, so um, in that region too. So I think, yeah, that Stanford I think is the clear favorite coming out of that region. Mm-hmm. But, um, well, th- we don't get a chance to watch all of these teams all year long, or at least up close and personal. Someone who does is our guest on the show in rotation three. Michaela Chester is an NCAA volleyball reporter. You can find her work on NCAA.com. She got some great insight and interviews with the selection committee. She was probably one of the handful of people who got to see the brackets before um, the ESPN selection show on Sunday night. So we're going to kick it over to Rotation 3 and our interview with Michaela Chester. And let's go to Rotation 3. We are joined today with Michaela Chester, who is an NCAA volleyball reporter. You can find all of her stuff on NCAA.com and all of the various NCAA social platforms. Uh, we're going to talk to her and get the breakdown of the bracket, which was just revealed a few hours ago. So welcome, Michaela. Glad you could join us. Thank you guys for having me. Really excited. So we'll kind of start some with some big picture things. What what was the toughest job the committee had here? Was it figuring out the top four seeds? Was it figuring out the regionals or the, maybe the last couple of at-large bids? What, what do you think was the toughest job they had? In my opinion, it was not the top four seeds. I think that kind of played itself out. And, and Pitt, I know that there was a discussion about Pitt versus Louisville, but I think when you really do look at the numbers, Pitt did out-edge them just by the smallest of margins. But it wasn't. I don't think that's what they spent all night on. What I probably think was the hardest discussion was that final top 16 seed and putting Mm -hmm. Florida in over teams like Georgia Tech, Penn State. I mean, even maybe Dayton was in consideration for that spot. Um, You know, that's got to be tough. You you think about their primary criteria is obviously strength of schedule, RPI, KPI, head-to-head matchups, um, and Florida – when you look at their whole schedule, will beat out all of the other teams that were in consideration. But you just got to think about the last 10 matchups and the fact that Florida lost Alexis Stuckey and, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, now they lost Anna Dixon and it's just a different team. And I I thought maybe that would be more in consideration, but last 10 matchups is a secondary criteria. So that had to be kind of what it came down to. But I can't imagine that was easy. For sure, yeah. I mean, Florida did have wins over Stanford and Penn State. Who thought that that matchup between uh, Florida and yeah. Penn State and Tampa would uh, determine who got the host? But right, yeah. yeah. And you think they they beat Stanford too? They were one mm-hmm. of the only teams to beat Stanford this year. Of course, it was right in the beginning of the season when they had Stucky. 
I think that they're mm-hmm. a different team. I mean, they looked like they might sweep Wisconsin before oh, yeah. Stucky went down. Mm-hmm. Um, and now they just have, they, they lost Kira Hudson as well and Anna Dixon now. So it's just been, you know, the worst of luck for Florida, but mm-hmm. they got rewarded for their full strength of schedule. Uh, your top four seeds in the tournament, Nebraska, Stanford, Wisconsin, Pitt got that last number four seed or number one seed. Michaela, which one of those do you feel like has the toughest path to the final four? I hate to say this, and I know I've got some Nebraska guys on here, but I really think that Nebraska has the toughest <laughs> region. I mean, they have to play the entire SEC. Yeah, yeah I mean, the SEC has eight teams in. That's the most out of every every conference. The Big Ten only has five for reference when the Big Ten is, you know, notably one of the best conferences in college volleyball, right? And and they mm-hmm. have less than the SEC. And Nebraska has four of them. Yeah. Um, it's just crazy. I mean, they've got Missouri in their regional, which I think they'd get past them. But they have the issue of Georgia Tech is in this regional. And mm-hmm. that's who I think maybe should have been a top 16 host, either them or Penn State. So mm-hmm. it's possible Georgia Tech beats Florida, right? And mm-hmm. then they have to play Nebraska. And that's- oh, we've been talking about Georgia Tech all year on this show. Yeah. That was just yeah. first darling team. Yes, it was. Well, I mean, you know, Missouri, Nebraska plays Missouri in the second round. It seems like every other year or like every right. three years, it happens all the time. Uh, and then, yeah, you got um, potentially Florida, um, Kentucky waiting, you know, in the, in the later stages and of it, which is Nebraska. And they're a completely right different now. team. It feels like the Nebraska beat back in September and, and Emma Grohm's got a little bit more experience. So yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have argued about that. I also, wouldn't have argued if you said Wisconsin. I mean, Wisconsin has yeah. to potentially play two of the teams that beat them earlier in the season in, in Purdue and yeah. Penn State. I, I would say, in my opinion, the weakest regional is is maybe Stanford's. But, um, you know, there's no easy path to the Final Four anymore, it seems like. No, I mean, the parity is just really great this year. Yeah. We talked about, I mean, there's those four SEC teams that are in Nebraska's region. Pitt and uh, Louisville are in the same region. And then the Big Ten, I mean, Wisconsin, Penn State, Purdue are all in the same. I mean, is this part of a trend to regionalize it or are the volleyball committee just want want to get those conference rivalries built up in the postseason? So technically, there is a rule, right, that if you can drive within 400 miles, you have to be able to go there before creating a flight. So it's a really hard thing that I do by hand when I do my bracket projections and I it's not fun at all. The committee actually has an algorithm to make sure they're not missing things like that with the whole driving versus flying thing. I mean, it did end up that way that all these conferences are kind of like that. I know they try to avoid conference matchups a lot of times. Um mm-hmm. but gosh, Louisville and Pitt rematching um you know, Wisconsin's got to play Penn State. Stanford having to play Texas is a little bit different there. Mm-hmm. They haven't faced this season, but I don't really know how that went in the room this year. I, I know that they do have an algorithm and they, they do have the driving thing, but it probably wasn't something they tried to do, is my guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the other localized thing that I thought was very interesting was Texas versus Texas A&M. I mean, Texas A&M was one of the last yeah. teams to get in, but that's a first-round matchup. You don't think that, I mean... You think their Texas might open up against some smaller, uh, low low conference school, but they're right. They're going to open up with one of their most hated rivals. 
Right. Yeah. You got to love it. I mean, sometimes that just happens with the the tournament. And when they put it together, it's like, oh, every time you see something with the matchups, you're like, okay, well, Georgia Tech got snubbed of hosting. Right. But now they get to play the one that did get it and just prove themselves there. It's like there's always little things like that that Mm -hmm. just kind of make sense in a weird way. Well, Florida could come to Lincoln and play Merritt Beeson again. I mean, there, there, there's a lot of, exactly. of plot, a lot of storylines in there. It's like mm-hmm. these storylines just find their way to make it happen. <laughs> um, Michaela, before uh, she talked to us today, was able to interview the, the chair of the selection committee, Holly Strauss O'Brien. And you can find that interview. It's great at NCAA.com on the bracket page. Uh, she said, Michaela, one of the top sort of secondary criteria were of getting in, of, of earning a seating place was how you played in your last 10 matches. Who do you think benefited the most from that? And maybe on the other side, was there a school that you saw maybe punished a little bit for how they played in their last 10 matches? Yeah, Washington State was probably punished the most um, from how they played in their last 10 matches. They still got a top 16 host, but um, I think they probably would have hoped to be a little bit higher, um, not be, I think they're the four seed in their region. Mm -hmm. Um, their regional, I think they would have probably rather not be a four seed that they're one of those teams that were really hot in the beginning of the season and then kind of fell apart towards the middle. Um, they're probably the ones that it made the most sense, but then the other times I didn't see it really happen. Like Penn state played really great towards the end. Purdue, Purdue probably mm-hmm. uh, got rewarded a lot for their last 10, uh, for sure. That's mm-hmm. one that benefited the most. Um, Florida did not get penalized, obviously, for their last 10. Sure, yeah. Hey, you've seen a lot of teams kind of play. You've, I mean, you've traveled all over the country. I don't know. Your frequent flyer mile uh, account is looking, <laughs> looking nice, I imagine. I mean, who are the teams that are in this tournament now that you think could make some noise, whether that be the first weekend or down the road? Yeah, I've, I've seen a lot of um, the top teams play. Watching Oregon in person, um, I was really impressed by them. I think that they could make a little bit of a run. Um, I don't necessarily think they'd get past Wisconsin, but they're just their offense is really fast and they're able to utilize their middles that are just so good. So if they're able to stay in system, I think Oregon is as dangerous as any team. When they get out of system, that's when it gets a little bit uh, dicey. Um, so Oregon's one of those teams that I think could do really, really well. Um, I I didn't see Georgia in person, but I've watched them, you know, on TV and and watched Sophie Fisher just won SEC Player of the Year. I went to Georgia. This is not biased at all. Um, I do think that they're a team that's probably like one of those. They're not seated just a dark horse team that maybe, you know, could beat BYU, um, take a take a stab at Stanford. I don't know how mm-hmm. that would go, but that's one of the other teams. Um, as far as who else I've seen, um, USC I saw in person, they they have got Skylar Fields. So um, as long as her <laughs> arm doesn't go out, um, they've got a chance. And and they they had a freshman that was out for the first half of the season. And once they brought her in, it really changed their rotation. And and she's a six rotation hitter, I think. So yeah. it's London really VJ. She should be in high school right now. I think she was the player, London yeah. VJ, who actually classified up a year. And she's like 17. And she's one of the best players on USC. She's incredible. Right. Yeah. I was impressed by them. I mean, they they reverse swept Washington State when I was there. Um, and I, I mean, here I was ready to interview Washington State. And... 
there they go. So um, mm -hmm. that's another one. Pitt, I'll be really interested to see just because um, they've been hot and cold. Um, they've got those freshman pins that are really impressive, but I'm excited to see how they play in the tournament. They've never been there mm -hmm. before. Well, you mentioned that possible Oregon-Wisconsin matchup. That was something that really jumped out to me when I was seeing the brackets be unveiled because I think Hannah Pukas is one of the best. Yeah. You know, if she's not the best setter in the country, she's definitely one of the best three setters in the country. And if you can run your offense really fast, if you can pass, you can kind of negate some of that Wisconsin size. And I think that's, you know, they say styles make fights in boxing. That could be a super interesting Elite Eight matchup with the size and power of Wisconsin oh, yeah. against the speed, um, kind of that quintessential West Coast volleyball that Oregon plays. I, I hope that's the matchup that uh, that we end up seeing. Because I think that could be just be as a volleyball fan. That's a really cool match to watch. Super um, cool. I, I know that you know, you're going to be in a position to watch a whole bunch of matches uh, this weekend. Are there any that we haven't talked about that you're really looking forward to? Just those opening round matches. Let's go. Let's start in the first round. Um, I'm I would be excited to see TCU versus Florida State. Yeah. Florida State's another team. I mean, they won the ACC. That's not to say that I think that they're better than Louisville and Pitt, but it's a good team. They've got a really good middle blocker with Corey Lewis. Um, and then you've got Melanie Para on TCU, mm -hmm. who's one of the most fun hitters to watch. So I think that would be a really fun first round matchup. Um, I'm also excited. I think upset potential is Minnesota, Utah State. Mm -hmm. um, Minnesota is one of those teams that everybody expected you know, you're, you bring back the Big Ten Player of the Year in Taylor Landfair. You bring in Kylie Murr from Ohio State, one of the best liberos in the country. And they almost were under 500 this year. And mm -hmm. it's like, what's happening? Um, and they've got the talent. It's just, I mean, of course, they lost a lot of talent. But I just was always like, there's got to be something wrong. It's got to be the connection. Um, they've got a new coach. Like, what is it? So I think that's a team that has a lot of potential. They just haven't reached it yet. And it. I would not want to face them as a non-seeded team in the tournament. That's for sure. Yeah, for sure. The other one that caught my eye was it was Houston, UC Santa Barbara. I know Santa Barbara yeah. cracked the rankings there early, and they had quite the winning streak. But I think, unfortunately, their first time ranking since I think the early 2000s, and they lose the first time on the court too. So uh, oh, that, yeah. that's one of the ones that I'm working at. And I, I also kind of like the the lower conferences, the mid majors, uh, like you mentioned, the Utah States and Houston, uh, the UC Santa Barbara is taking on. Yeah. Big, big, big power programs. I, it's weird to call Houston a power program, but they're in the Big 12 now, so they count. Yeah, I'm excited. Another another few ones. I mean, Coastal Carolina, I haven't watched a ton of them, but I've been hearing some names on their team um, a lot this season. I mean, Jalen Stout is, I think they run a 6-2, and she is the right side setter, and her numbers are just insane. She's had, she's had 14 double-doubles this year. So, I mean, Western Kentucky, that's not, you know, it's very possible that they they could get a win in the first round. And then um, I'm excited to see Hawaii, too. Amber ID. That was going to be what I said. I've ever seen. Yeah. And and Hawaii was a team that also kind of looked like they they might be on the outside looking in. But then they won right. the Big West tournament. They they won the championship match in five. And they're going up against an Iowa State team that they can absolutely beat. And and 100%. they're playing in a, in a, you know, on a familiar side of the country, I guess, up in Eugene. So. I wouldn't be surprised at all if, if Hawaii end up knocking off a uh, seven seed Iowa State there. Yeah, me too. I'm filling out my bracket soon and I'm thinking about right now what my upset picks are going to be. So that might be one of them. We, uh, I, I talked that we talked to Coach Cook after the uh, bracket was revealed, John Cook, I should say, uh, after the brackets <laughs> were revealed. And he kind of talked about how there's just so much parody in this, in this year's college yeah. volleyball and there's a lot of upsets every, every year. But it seemed like, I mean, 
parity only runs so deep. I mean, yes, there'll be first round upsets and maybe a team or two are surprised, but it seems like once we get past that first weekend, it's a lot of the same players, a lot of the same seeds make it up. I mean, how, how deep do you think that parity runs? In other words, I mean, how many teams do you think have a realistic chance to win the title this year? Yeah, that's the thing about volleyball. It's like if you do look at the national champions over the years, there, there there's not much parity. Um, we talk about parity this year, but when it does come down to push and shove, like when I'm filling out my bracket, I don't think, you know, we talk about these teams with first round upsets, but I don't think Coastal Carolina is going to be in the final four. Like I, I do think it's going to be the Nebraska's, the Wisconsin's, the Oregon's. If there's an upset, you know, maybe it's an, another top seed. But mm-hmm. when you think about who could actually compete for a national championship this year, in my opinion, I think it's Nebraska. Um, I think both Louisville and Pitt can compete for a national title. Stanford, of course. Um, Wisconsin. Oregon, maybe Texas, maybe Texas. Um, yeah. I, I think that's it. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, it's a, it's a volleyball is a high volume sport, which means you have to score a lot of points and a lot of things have to go right for you to upset a better team. And there's a reason why it seems like the number one teams, just a number one team always kind of wins the national yeah. championship. And I think one of the top four seeds are going to win the national title again this year. So sometimes, kept, yeah, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, when it comes to push and shove, sometimes it really just does come down to physicality. And that's what these mm-hmm. top teams have that some of the, you know, unseated teams don't that you just can't compete with. Like sometimes you just can't overpower physicality. And mm-hmm. no matter how great of a volleyball team you are, um, you're, you're not going to beat six, nine at the net. You know, it's just that's mm-hmm. just what it comes down to sometimes. Absolutely. You can't you can't hit 14 three pointers and pull off an upset in volleyball. <laughs> Uh, Michaela right. Chester, NCAA volleyball reporter. Thank you so much for joining us on Volleyball State. You can check out Michaela's work on NCAA.com plus all of the NCAA social platforms. That's X, Instagram, Facebook. Check her out, and she's going to be bringing you news and notes from inside the NCAA tournament all tournament long. Michaela, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. All right. Thanks again to Michaela. And let's move on to rotation four. We're going to look at the other teams that from the state of Nebraska that made the tournament uh for the first time ever all three division one teams are dancing uh uno omaha made that a reality they won the summit league uh with kind of a it was a wild finish to the uh their championship match too uh but then also creighton took care of business won the big east uh, they tied for the regular season but they won the big east uh tournament champion and they are actually going to host creighton is the number three seed in Pitt's region and they will host the first opening round. Uh, they will open up with Colgate, uh, making their second trip to Nebraska. They played the Huskers a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but then they get to host their uh, also their familiar friend, Minnesota, who Minnesota, uh, they weren't one of the last four teams, and they apparently comfortably made it into the into the tournament. Uh, Minnesota has played a six-seed Utah State, who Utah, I don't know what Utah State played, played Nebraska earlier this year, but they worked some magic with their schedule, and had a, uh, a RPI in the teens. Um, they had a good season and they get the number six seed. So mm-hmm. uh, the 16 is where uh, Utah State uh, finished with a 24 and six record as part of the Mountain West. They did not win uh, the Mountain West tournament. They, so they got an at large bid. Yeah. And that might have kept, uh, you know, a school like Kansas State out um, by one of these, you know, Mountain West uh, champs not, um, 
not 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 the the regular season champion not winning the the tournament championship so that's a, a great season so far for kirsten bernthal booths uh blue jays the 10th year in a row they have won uh at least a share of the big east title they win the tournament championship they would have gotten it in regardless but i think marquette then was the other at large team from uh the big east and and that knocks out a team like St. Jo- uh, St. John's, who had a great year and, and was on the bubble, but ends up not being able to make it. Uh, Creighton is getting to host um, in Omaha. I thought maybe UNO might be sent there um, mm-hmm. just because I don't think those two teams played in the regular season. And the NC- they did. Yeah, they did. Yeah. Okay. Creighton, Creighton one and three. Yeah, it was a sweep. OK, so, um, yeah, Creighton opens against Colgate. Don't know much about Colgate. I do know that Minnesota is pretty good, but Minnesota is going to have their hands full with Utah State. I mean, you don't go 24 yeah. and six and get, you know, a top 20 RPI ranking uh, by accident. And if um, if if Creighton ends up making it out of their home regional, it, it looks like they will face up with the, the number one seed pit in the Sweet 16 or excuse me, they will go to pit. And they will play Louisville in the Sweet 16. Thanks for cleaning yes. that up for me. Yes, yes. So I think you mentioned the Creighton playing their good friend Minnesota. They they played in 2010, 2012, 2019. So it's just uh, mm-hmm. another year. They're they're kind of like uh, Creighton, Creighton, Minnesota, Nebraska, Missouri. They're right. Most regional, regional, not too bad, too bad of travel partner. That if mm-hmm. you're postseason. Let's get together. Yeah, Nebraska is always playing like a combination of Wichita State, Kansas State, or Missouri in yeah. the first couple rounds. Um, now that they're not in in conference with K State and Missouri, you can do that because they the tournament will not match you up with a conference team usually in the in the first round. I think the big story. I mean, Creighton is its own wonderful story, uh, and I think they're going to be more favored to get out of their first two rounds. But what a story that this UNO Maverick team is. I I couldn't watch their match on Tuesday. I believe it was Tuesday night when they played in the Summit League Championship. They beat Missouri no Kansas City could. up in Vermilion. Yeah, it was like if you had you could watch it on Hulu minus that's the streaming service <laughs> that it was on. But I was watching um I was watching on live stats and, and UNO loses the first two sets to Missouri Kansas City and then comes back for a reverse sweep. So congratulations to coach Matt Buttermore and his crew a uh, wonderful story that, you know, UNO starts the season playing at Volleyball Day in Nebraska and Memorial Stadium now ends it with their first NCAA tournament berth. And even if it goes no farther, it's a it's a wonderful accomplishment for the Mavericks. Um, this is the Mavs first Division One NCAA tournament berth. They they had plenty of Division Two um, tournament appearances, including winning a Division Two national championship back in the 1990s. They are going down to Lawrence. So a quick trip down. I imagine they'll take I-29 for quite a bit and and not take highway 75 which will also get you to lawrence um to play ku on thursday they're actually going to be playing on the tournament's opening night on thursday uh this is in the wisconsin regional so the winner of this kansas omaha match is most likely going to get rewarded by playing penn state in the second round uh on friday yes yeah and while we're talking about volleyball day nebraska and teams from nebraska the division two tournament starts this week too and that was announced last week uh both uh nebraska carney and wayne state made it of course uh we're talking about regionalization the division two is strictly uh regional which to both those teams detriments and probably to a lot of teams in the central regional uh detriment too is absolutely mm-hmm. stacked and loaded so uh, Let, let's walk that out for a second and explain to people who who might not be familiar with the NCAA, what what regionalization means in in Division Two. The way I interpret it is, you basically your regional the first what four rounds of the tournament 
you only play teams from your region. It's not like the Division One tournament, which has you know Long Island yeah. and Delaware coming to Lincoln, and and the whole thing is seated one through sixty four. This yeah. is if you're in the central region, like UNK and Wayne State are, you are only going to play other teams from the central part of the country until you reach the final four. And same elite with eight. schools they, on the west coast. Division two does a elite eight. They get together okay. and play with their elite eight. Yes. Right. But but as we mentioned, when we talked with Wayne State coach Scott Kneifel earlier um, in the year, the central region is absolutely stacked. There's yeah. like five or six top 25 teams in Wayne State's conference. And that's not even counting, you know, UNK and the MIAA teams. Yeah. So here's what you got. So the eight there's eight teams that qualify. Uh, they're seated one through eight. But here they are. According to their, these are national rankings. Uh, these are all teams that are fine for one spot in the uh, elite eight. Uh, so you have the number two two ranked Concordia St. Paul, uh, number three ranked Wayne State, number six St. Cloud State, number seven Southwest Minnesota State, uh, number thirteen UNK, uh, number fifteen Minnesota Duluth, and number sixteen Central Missouri. So out of the eight teams in this region, only one Oklahoma Baptist is not ranked in the top sixteen seeds in the nation, mm-hmm. and so it's just it's just a it's a congruence of uh, all the great teams right. in the same region. It's, it's unfortunate. Like I think even Scott said, it's like a national championship just to get out of this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's, it's like, you know, playing in the big 10 all year long, except if that determined um, which two or three teams got to go to the NCAA tournament. So best of luck to, to UNK and to Wayne state as you start the, the division two tournament, we'll see if either of those teams can make it out of the region and, and be the representative in the elite eight. Yes. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. So now we're going to move on to rotation five and talk about the teams that are not playing in the NCAA tournament. They still, some of them may be playing. Snubs. In the, it's the snub time. The snub time. Um, this so, is my, this is one of my favorite parts. This is where we oh, just yes. get to like complain <laughs> and gripe and like have a little drama about who made it in. And we realize, you know, this is, this is the stakes of volleyball, right? It's not the NCAA basketball tournament where you're going to have 55 talk shows talking about who, who got left out. But I do find it curious how sometimes the decision makers on the selection committee make their decisions. And and Michaela was telling us a little bit about this in our chat with her. So Lincoln, you have the the, the last four teams in, and this was what was on the selection show, right? This yes. is the committee admitting here are the last four at large teams that got in. And and I think these numbers next to them, what are the RPIs as, the as current they RPIs, are? yes. Yeah. So, so you have, uh, go Texas A and M Texas A and M Texas A and M got in. They're number thirty seven. 
uh, Cal, University of Cal Santa Barbara. They were had an RPI of 38. Stephen F. Austin, 36. And then Miami uh, is 45-2. However, uh, even though it wasn't among the, the last four in, the lowest team that got an at-large bid in the RPI standings was Georgia at 47. So um, even though it had Georgia was lower than all of the last four in, uh, they mm-hmm. apparently had uh, a good enough resume. The um, SEC got eight teams. Eight teams in yeah. this tournament. The Big 12 That's got seven. insane to me. Yeah. The Big 10 gets five teams. The SEC gets eight teams. Look, if you put the eighth best team in the SEC, which I assume was Georgia, who is the eighth best team in the Big 10? I don't have the standings in front of me, but I'm going to guess it's like, Illinois or Ohio State. Yeah. Like, I, I feel like the Big Ten team would probably have um have, have the advantage or be favored to win in that. So, yeah, those are your last four teams in. Michigan State or Northwestern is your eighth place. Uh, oh, yeah. Eighth okay. place team. So that um, includes Indiana and Illinois who did not get in as above those two teams. Right, right. And those were teams we were looking at maybe three weeks ago. I, I was all on the Indiana bandwagon. I thought Indiana was going to get in. And then I think they suffered a couple unfortunate losses to end the regular season. And we will talk a little bit about Illinois here in just a little bit. But the last teams that were out, according to the committee, and they don't tell you in sort of numerical order or who was like, you know, the 65th team. They only tell you in alphabetical order. Um, Drake out of the Missouri Valley, I believe still. Uh, Duke, Kansas State, Loyola Chicago, Loyola Marymount, North Carolina State, St. John's, and longtime volleyball royalty UCLA um, were the last eight teams that got left out uh, on the bubble, whose bubble has now burst. Yes. The, the team that I think I have the biggest problem being left out, and and I, I feel like you're maybe Lincoln on the other side of this than I am, is Kansas State. Um, Kansas State 16 and 11, so it's not the most impressive record when you look at it, but Kansas State swept texas they were the only big 12 team to beat texas this year they swept byu twice which was another Mm -hmm. regional host swept them twice on back-to-back nights in manhattan they also have wins over other tournament teams like iowa state baylor and tcu yes they were number 59 in the rpi and i don't know how exactly that happened i'm sure that loss to lipscomb really sunk them uh, early in in the non-conference and yes they lost twice to their in-state rivals kansas who's another host winning one of those probably would have helped and then they lost their regular season finale um, this weekend to houston but still you can't get in with wins over texas two wins over byu iowa state baylor and tcu who all made the field that's one two three four five six wins over tournament teams and that doesn't count other teams that I'm, I'm not looking at their entire schedule on. Kansas State seems like they got a pretty solid gripe when well, you're looking at Georgia as the last at-large team. Yeah, my counter to all of that is Kansas State also has some bad, bad losses. You mentioned, I mean, Lipscomb, they did finish mm-hmm. runner-up in the A-Sun, so they're okay, but that's a one big league. Uh, mm-hmm. They lost to Oklahoma, who finished 11-17. and 17. They mm-hmm. lost to Cincinnati, who was 12 and 16. They lost yeah. to UCF, who also in the bottom half of the Big 12, lost to TCU. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I mean, just if they would have taken care of business, I mean, that TCU loss was at home. Mm-hmm. Cincinnati loss was at home. Um, and the other two, Central Florida and OU, were on the road. But if you just take care of business at home in their fancy new arena, Mm-hmm. Then, then you may you may you have a better case. I, I 
Yeah, you win two of those matches. I get it, and you're you're probably in. Yeah, the I mean, question, uh, the one, the one thing that I've heard about that they should have replaced is Stephen F. Austin and uh, Stephen F. Austin. They finished uh, twenty nine and four. Um, they lost in the tournament, the the WAC tournament to uh, Grand Canyon, who got the auto bid from there. So that's one of their mm-hmm. four losses. They also lost to Baylor and Arizona State, which those losses got better as the season went on. Um, but there, I mean, they, I mean, I I can't point to mm-hmm. any good wins that Stephen F. Austin had. I mean, Mississippi, maybe. Yeah, uh, this is Boise this raises State. a question that I've never heard anyone really be able to answer for me, which is when you're when you're looking at a tournament resume, which is more important? your best wins or your worst losses. Uh, I don't, I guess if you were to just ask me my opinion, I think your better wins should be weighted more heavily against your worst losses. Um, But it seems like, you know, K-State did not, K-State was punished for their bad losses more than they were rewarded for their great wins. And like, you know, you look at Texas, how how does Texas have to feel at one of their losses was to a team that, that, couldn't even make the NCAA tournament. Texas well, is RPI. Also, Long even... Beach State as well. Oh yeah, too. Long Beach State. Dance. Yeah, Long Beach. That was uh, coached by a friend of the show, former Husker assistant Tyler Hildebrand. Went five with Hawaii, and that's the reason that Hawaii got in. Is is they ended up winning that that um Big that West. Big West championship match. I wanted to call it the WAC. Those schools have been in so many different conferences. Like you yeah. could have told me that they were playing in the Horizon League, and I would have believed you. But yeah, so uh, Long Beach State stays at home, um, and Hawaii gets in. So congratulations to them. The other sort of uh, UCLA was eighteen and twelve. They were number fifty-five in the RPI. I think there's less of a case to leave them out, except that they play in the Pac-12. They were kind of missing that one signature win, I would say. They went five with Stanford like a week ago, but then lost game five, I think 15-7. So they never really challenged in the fifth. If they'd been able to pull that off, I think that gets them into the tournament. And, um, you know, I think one thing we're seeing, too, is just how much reliance the tournament selection committee uses for RPI. And some coaches are fine with that because they know how to play the game, or at least they're willing to schedule an RPI tough schedule. Other coaches are really dissatisfied with it. Um, you know, and it's easy to be dissatisfied with it when you're on the other side of the bubble. Um, our friend Chris Thomas, another former Nebraska assistant head coach of Illinois, was very vocal on social media over the last week about how he feels the computer rankings, the RPI, and I, I, this new KPI metric that I don't know much about. And then we've got Pablo in there. I don't know how much the, the tournament selection committee looks at that. But that, you know, too much reliance is given to an algorithm, I guess, to yeah. make these final rankings that the tournament committee relies so much on. Yeah, not enough eye tests, which I think you wonder who who's on the committee, if it's all just administrators or former players or coaches. Uh, and actually, if you want to go learn about the KPI, Michaela, we keep mentioning it. She does great work. She had a great explainer I saw on social media about uh, ranking KPI and how that's more kind of a of a performance indicator rather than just a straight all algorithm to uh, measure that. So, mm-hmm. I, again, Illinois, I, I understand Thomas's kind of frustration with it, too. But when you and that's why I thought that Minnesota, uh, Illinois match middle of the week was kind of a loser, loser, losing your out for sure. And mm-hmm. then Illinois backed that up with a loss against Northwestern, who's the middle of the road uh, yeah. big team team. And I don't know whether they realized that after they lost to Minnesota, that their motivation, I didn't, I didn't watch any of it because I was at the Minnesota match. That, mm-hmm. So 
I, yeah, I, it was on Saturday night. It, it's harder to, you know, to feel sympathy for for Chris's team and for Illinois when they went 0-2 on their final weekend, got swept by Minnesota um, and Northwestern, especially. You finish the season 16-14. and uh, Illinois' resume is a little wanting. Their only signature win, really, of the year was against Purdue, who's a very good team, but, like, that's the only one. And so I thought, you know, Illinois was going to have to go 3-1 and one down the stretch and with their only loss being to Nebraska. And they played really well against Nebraska. Yeah. Uh, they they could have taken that match to five. But, you know, the proof is in the pudding. You lose the number of matches that you lose. And, you know, you're, sorry, Chris, you guys are out. So, I mean, we heard a lot of people talk. Of, I mean, the Big Ten is supposedly the best conference year in, year out. Um, so we heard a lot of people talk about how, it was, I mean, the, the Big Ten only got five teams in, which is low. So mm-hmm. in your opinion, is was the Big Ten down this year or was it so, I mean, so it cannibalized itself enough. Yeah, that so middle it heavy. It prevented, uh, Interesting. prevented teams from getting in. We we talked a few weeks ago on the show, and you know, I I was of the opinion then that the Big Ten is is down, and that yeah. was before I think Penn State kind of found themselves. Um, you've got some middle of the pack teams that didn't make the tournament that I think would beat some of the teams that did make the tournament. Like Indiana can be pretty good. Um, on uh, Illinois has one of the best players in the country in Raina Terry, and when she's on, she's terrifying. Those would be the two I could see that might have had cases if their records had been just a little bit better. But that also goes to show, too, you know, you've got to win some of your non-conference matches. And Illinois really struggled in the non-conference. I don't think Indiana played, you know, really marquee matches in the non-conference. And so it's uh, UCLA and Long Beach State. Yeah, it's tough for, you know, teams that that are kind of putting it together and get better in the middle of the year and, and peak near the end of the year, because you can get really punished by not having a signature non-conference win. And and schools like Nebraska are always going to be to the point where they're going to win enough matches to, to overcome that. Plus they, they conf- they're confident enough that they can schedule marquee teams in the non-conference. Now the day might come where Nebraska is in UCLA's situation um, today where, you know, they're, they're 19 and 13. Yeah. And and they didn't really beat anyone that good, and they're like just trying to get in. Yeah. And I don't think Illinois or Indiana have the reputation really to get drug over the finish line. Um, so yeah, I think you know the Big Ten. I would love to see sort of a Gavit game style or a you know Big Ten SEC challenge where you match up the best teams and then all the way down the line. I think that could be really great for the sport oh, yeah. and showcasing these conferences. But yeah, it, it would be hard to get the conferences to, I think, put that much intentionality behind volleyball. We're just not there yet sure. as the sport. Yeah, and yeah, I was looking at Indiana's schedule. They lost to Ohio State and Northwestern teams. If they want to make the tournament, you beat them. But yeah. uh, one final note here, we're talking about scheduling of that. I don't think we've mentioned in this show, uh, Nebraska, they played and beat six different conference champions in the, uh, in, the in their non-conference uh they beat uh, Utah State, who won the regular season. Mm-hmm. Um, they beat uh, SMU, who is the American champion. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kentucky, who won the SEC. Stanford, who won the Pac-12. Uh, oh, uh, Creighton, who mm-hmm. won the Big East. Oh, and I had this written down. What What is the last one? What is the last one? Do I have it? UNO doesn't count. Uh, even though oh, yes, I don't... yes, it does. I count UNO because they won the Summit League tournament champion. So there's your six. Oh, one. and they were and they were the I don't know the four teams tied. Four teams tied for the top of the Summit League, and UNO was oh, one wow. of them. Oh my! So, there we go. 
All right. I, well, I forgot. I was about to say that UNO match was an exhibition match, but no, Volleyball Day in Nebraska for Nebraska and UNO was an official match. It was the D2 match that was the the exhibition. So right. there you go. Yeah. Uh, great tournament resume for Nebraska. They're rewarded with the number one overall seed. We'll move into rotation six, a really quick segment where we'll tell you that we're going to come back later on in the week. We are maybe looking at a Wednesday or Thursday Friday morning at the absolute latest drop of a second show. It kind of depends on when we can get a guest to join us. But we're going to go deep on Nebraska's first and second round matchups with Long Island, Delaware, and Missouri. Break down those teams. Tell you a little bit about them. Maybe have a special guest. We don't want to jinx it yet because we're still, you know, begging, pleading, comparing schedules. But yeah, we're in negotiations to bring you um, a good guest because that is what you have come to um, expect on America's number one college volleyball podcast. So subscribe and also review us like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, give us five star rating, steal an elderly relative's phone and also rate us five stars on that person's phone. It just helps us. Um, yeah, sign them up to listen. It helps us expand the platform, get more people interested and and expand the sport in a year where so many people have sort of showed the love for college volleyball, including all of you um, who listen to this show. So uh, you can find us online on social media at Volleyball Pod. So many of you are interacting with us there. We're having a ton of fun on social media. Email the show. And it's great. Lincoln, you keep showing me um, either corrections or suggestions on how to do things better from our yes. great listeners. Uh, email us at volleyballstate at gmail.com. Yeah, I get corrected like twice a show by people who listen and email in. So I'm grateful for that. You make us better. You can find me uh, on social media at by Jeff Sheldon. And you can find me at Lincoln underscore VB on Twitter. And if you uh, you do the uh, threads, I'm Lincoln A underscore VB on threads. You can find me there and read my articles on Huskers Illustrated. I should have a uh, Merritt Beeson story dropping this week online. So thanks again to Podcast House Media for hosting us. You can listen to more uh, podcast part of the network at podcasthousemedia.com. And we will be back in your podcast ears later this week. So thanks for listening and stay tuned for more.